Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Today, we're going to talk about one of the most important people in all of biblical salvation history. But this man has no dramatic conversion story. He didn't fight any significant battle. He didn't have any glorious leadership position in the government. He didn't have a big ministry, a big platform, or some major work of evangelization. In fact, he doesn't say a single word in all of Scripture. And yet this man is held up as one of the greatest saints in our Catholic faith. And who is this man? It's, of course, St. Joseph, whose solemnity we celebrate uh, later this week here. And we're giving special attention to Joseph this year in the year of Joseph. But what makes Joseph so amazing? That's what I want to share with you. What can we learn from Scripture about Joseph and his virtue and how we can imitate him? That's what we're going to look at in this week's podcast. So welcome to All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sree. And I have to tell you, this podcast almost didn't happen. Uh, we got hit with a massive winter storm apocalypse here in the Denver area. It's just been snowing and snowing and snowing the last 36 hours, just nonstop. My kids have loved it. They just found out they don't have school tomorrow. Uh, but Sunday night here in Denver, I, I was walking out to uh, my backyard shed, which is where I have my whole study room built out. That's where I do all my work and writing, and this is where I record the podcast, but to get out here was quite the adventure. It, it was, I had snow drifts going way up above my thighs. I mean, it was like intense trying to make it here, uh, but here I am, we're recording, and the show is going to happen, and uh, you can pray for me that I make it back to my family inside. <laughs> so, uh, but let, let's talk about Joseph. He had to do many harder things than than I had to do just coming out through a winter storm. Uh, he's a great role model, and I'll tell you, he's he's always been a hero of mine. From my youth, I can remember this little Carmelite monastery that had this beautiful image of St. Joseph with the child Jesus, and it always captivated me, uh, even as a young child. But especially uh, as a husband, as a father, I've always turned to Joseph. We know he's a model for work, but I think he's a model for men in a particular way and and, and a model for those who are husbands and fathers. But we're going to see that even if you're female, <laughs> even if uh, you're, you're not a husband, father, whatever state of life you're in, there's so much you can learn from Joseph because according to Matthew 1.19, the Bible tells us Joseph was a just man. Now, there's different levels of meaning of that, but one basic thing we can take away from uh, that line in Matthew 1.19 is that he was virtuous. He was a virtuous man, a man of character. And I want to take a look today at some of the virtues of Joseph. And I want to really ground this in the inspired word of God. What does the Bible actually teach us about Joseph? And I'll make some, you know, application points and all, but I want to I want to begin with scripture because admittedly the scriptures don't tell us a lot about this great man, but the little details that we do get can begin to paint a picture. And it's that picture I want to present for all of us so we can grow in love with Joseph, uh, grow closer to him in friendship uh, as a spiritual father for our lives, but also so we can imitate his virtues in our lives. And the first virtue I want to look at is his humility. I mean, think about Joseph. Think about his situation. It would be really humbling to be Joseph, really hard to be Joseph. I mean, think about it. He's married not just to an amazing woman. He's married 
to the Immaculate Conception. This is a woman who is absolutely perfect. (laughs) This is a woman without the stain of original sin. She's full of grace. She gets it right every time. I mean, that would just be really intimidating. You know, my wife gets it right, you know, all the time. But man, to be be married to someone like the Blessed Virgin Mary, whoa, that would be pretty, pretty humbling. And then it's not just that he's married to the Immaculata, his child, Think about who his child is. He has a child that doesn't just think he's God. He has a child who is actually the holy divine son of God himself. And so I always like to point out that, you know, if anything ever went wrong in the Holy Family's household, Joseph would look at Mary, he would look at Jesus, and then he would look down at himself and say, well, it must have been me again. <laughs> so uh, poor Joseph, but, but how intimidating and humbling that would be. But what I want to turn our attention to, though, is something important that Scripture reveals about this great man that not a lot of people notice. If you were to look at Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 1, the first time Matthew mentions Joseph. Are you aware of the first time the New Testament mentions the great Saint Joseph? Right there in Matthew chapter 1. It is a profound, significant, awe-inspiring Uh, little little detail we learn about this man, Joseph. Now, you may read it in at the end of this genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 16, we get the, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. And all it says is that Jacob was the father of Joseph. That's all it says. That's the first time we learn of this great Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus is born. What's What's so significant about Matthew chapter 1, verse 16? Jacob is the father of Joseph. Okay, he had a a dad named Jacob. What's the big deal? Well, I want to put you into this genealogy. I want you to understand this the way the Jews in the first century would have understood this genealogy. And and when you understand what this genealogy is saying about Joseph, you are going to be in awe. Your world is going to be rocked. I mean, you're going to say, wow, what an amazing man this was. I don't know if I ever thought about this. You see, the the opening of Matthew's gospel is trying to connect Jesus back into the prophecies and the hopes going all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then it continues all the way down to Jesse and David, the king, and and then Solomon, the son of David, the great king. So when you read about the, the history and this genealogy and you read these names, it isn't just a bunch of names from a long time ago. Every name tells a story. It brings to mind the great heroes and tragic, uh, tragic failures and great heroic leaders of the Old Testament. So every name tells a story. But when you read about David and Solomon, you're remembering this was the, the, the high point of Israel's history. This is when God gave us the, the great kingdom, uh, a dynasty, uh, and God promised David an everlasting dynasty, a great kingdom. And this kingdom wasn't just for David. It wasn't just for Jerusalem. It wasn't just for the Israelite people. It had a mission to the other nations. David recognizes this in 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 19, when he says, Lord, you have shown me Torah Adam, the law for humanity, the law, the law for mankind. David sees that the mission of his kingdom is to do what God always wanted the chosen people to do, the people of Israel, and that is to go out and lead other people to the one true God, to not just be a military kingdom, but to be a kingdom of priests 
as Exodus 19 verse 6 tells us. And David recognizes this. That's his mission to bring the Torah Adam, the law for humanity, out to the nations. And and his son Solomon, you you get a glimpse in Solomon of, of living this out. Solomon is known for his great wisdom that God gave him. He, he, he was the wise builder who built the house of God, the great temple in Jerusalem. And his wisdom became famous to the nations around. Other kings and queens start coming to learn from Solomon, like the queen of Sheba comes to sit at the foot of Solomon, to learn from his wisdom. It tells us in the Bible in 1 Kings chapter 10 how the, the whole earth came to, to, to learn from Solomon. And what that means is that the many leaders around, people rep- the leaders representing the different peoples around Israel came to learn from Solomon. Now, the genealogy goes on, David and Solomon, the great kings, and it goes on and traces the, the Davidic line all the way down through many sad failures, tragic kings who were not good leaders, people who led the people away from God, led them into idolatry. The genealogy continues and talks about the great period of the exile. It says that in, in verse 11, it describes how the people were carried off into exile in Babylon. That's when they lost the king. They didn't have a king ruling over them anymore after that. That was 586 BC. They lost the temple. The temple was destroyed. And so the Israelites, when the the Jewish people came back from Babylon, they they rebuilt their city and they rebuilt the temple, but it wasn't anything like it was in in Solomon's time. It was a a much smaller building. And most of all, they never had a king ruling over them. They just had one foreign nation after another oppressing them. You have the Babylonians, you have the Persians, you have the Greeks. And then finally, in the days of Joseph, it's, it's Rome who's ruling over the people. And so you keep reading this genealogy and it gives one name after another, after another, all these descendants of David and Solomon. And then it says, and Jacob was the father of Joseph. Now, my friends, if you are trying to understand who Joseph is, and this is the first reference in the canonical New Testament to St. Joseph, what is is the Bible trying to tell us? What is God's inspired word telling us about this man, Joseph? Joseph is a son of David. He's from the royal line. He's from the line of David and Solomon. I mean, what does that tell us about Joseph? Joseph is the one who's supposed to be what? He's supposed to be the king. He could make a claim to be the king. He should be sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. He should be leading the nation. People like Herod, and Pilate and Caesar should be bowing down before Joseph. And they should be sitting at the feet of Joseph to learn the wisdom of God from Joseph, the, the ways of God, that the Torah Adam, the law for humanity, should be passed on from David to Solomon, to the next descendant of David, to the next royal heir, all the way down to Joseph. My friends, God's inspired word reveals to us Joseph is a son of David. He's part of that royal line, and God promised that this kingdom would be a great kingdom that would have influence over all the world. And yet, given the crisis that the Israelites, the Jews, have been facing ever since 586 BC, for about six centuries, they've been suffering under one foreign nation after another after another. And so this great king, this great man from this kingly line is a lowly carpenter. And he's not on a throne in Jerusalem. He's living in nowhere Nazareth, working in some carpenter shop. 
and he's exploited by Rome. He has to pick up and move and go down and take Mary to, to, to Bethlehem to be counted in the census so that he could be taxed more by the Romans. He's poor. He's not a, a glorious king. He, he's a poor man. He can't even afford the, the normal sacrifices at the temple. When you, when you would go to the temple and you had to go for the rituals of, of purification for the, for the, for the, the mother that, that gives birth, you, you would normally have to bring, a, you'd bring an animal and then you'd bring a, a bird, but they can't even afford the animal. So they, so they just have to bring two turtle doves because they're so poor. This is the situation of this royal prince, St. Joseph. It reminds me in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. I don't know how much you're, you're familiar with the stories or the movie, but you remember the character Aragorn? He's the one that becomes the great king in the end. He, it's the return of the king. That's him. <laughs> well, he's from the great line known as the Dunedain of the great kings of old. But those kings have lost their former glory. And then their dwelling is he's a ranger. He's out, you know, at the beginning of Lord of the Rings, this character Aragorn is just like, he's a suspicious character. He's just out in the woods and, you know, he's a ranger. That's what he's known as. Nobody knows his true identity, that he's truly a great king. I think of St. Joseph as like one of the Dunedain in, in Tolkien's world of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> he, he's, he's like a ranger just out there, humble, patient, waiting, trusting that God is going to act and God will restore the kingdom someday. And it's going to happen in Joseph's lifetime, as we see. Now, um, Joseph is insignificant by the world's standards. You know, he, 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 but he, he really is this great royal prince. I want to tell you about one more little window into Joseph's soul that might tell us something about his humility. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, tells us you know, that story. You remember, we hear it every time in the Christmas season about Joseph, who is considering divorcing his wife, uh, Mary. And, you know, there's three common interpretations in the, in the church's history. Different saints and church fathers have different views on what was really going on in Joseph's mind. What is he motivated by? What's he thinking about? And maybe I'll do a whole other podcast on those three different views someday. But I'm going to tell you about one of the interpretations you find in the early church. And I don't want you to think this is dogma. You don't have to believe it. Um, this is just one of the three common interpretations we have of why Joseph was thinking of, of leaving Mary and, 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 and divorcing her. Well, it, it, this view is known as the reverential fear view. The idea is that Joseph learned from Mary about the Annunciation. You know, he didn't just find out and just happen to notice, oh, wow, she's She's getting bigger. What's going on there? <laughs> you know, you know, just imagine if, according to this view, like, like that Mary would have told Jesus or, or Joseph. I mean, picture Mary and Joseph there in Nazareth. Mary has the angel Gabriel appear to her. Joseph sees her later that day and says, hey, Mary, how you doing? Good. Anything, anything interesting happened today? Oh, not much. <laughs> you know, Mary probably would have told her, her beloved, her betrothed Joseph about what happened. And when Joseph hears about this, hears that, Mary has conceived by the Holy Spirit and that Mary has in her womb the all-holy Son of God. Joseph is in awe of this great mystery taking place in Mary's life and Mary's womb. There's never been a conception like this before. No one has ever had a baby as a virgin. Whoa, God is intervening in Mary's life in this profound way. And, and, and she's carrying in her womb, not just any ordinary child, but the Holy Son of God. And so in awe and in reverence for Mary and in reverence of the mystery taking place in Mary's womb, 
Joseph doesn't feel worthy to be her husband. Joseph, in all humility, is, isn't just in awe. And he, and he says, well, something just extraordinary is happening in Mary's life. I, I, I'm not worthy to, to be her husband. I'm not worthy to be the foster father of this child. I, I think I better just step out of the way. Again, I don't want to be. I want to be clear. This isn't something that's taught that you have to believe. But it was one of the. It's one of the three common interpretations that you'll find in the church. But but it does. If this is true, that would that would beautifully point to also this amazing humility that Joseph has. Now, I, I want to cover a couple more virtues of Joseph. So we talked about his humility. I want to talk about his docility to the will of God. Docility is not a virtue people like to talk about today. Everyone wants to be very in control of their own lives. <laughs> I want to have my own plan. I want to have my own dream. I want to, you know, involve God that he can help me fulfill my dream and my plan. <laughs> you know, that that's how many Christians approach God. But in the Catholic tradition, docility is a virtue. You're docile to God's will, you're docile to the church, you're docile to God, Jesus's teachings, and we should be docile to the needs of our spouse, to the needs of our children, to others. In other words, what I'm doing is I, I'm a person, if I if I have this virtue, I'm, I'm flexible, I'm responsive to God's will, I'm responsive to the demands of the moment. What do others need of me right now? How do I fulfill my relationship with the people around me and with God in serving them? And I think about Joseph, and you think about just how much he had to be flexible and docile. He, he's not a man forcing his will upon other people, forcing things to happen. He's certainly not someone clinging to his own plans and dreams. Uh, in fact, every time Joseph has a dream, he's told to go do something different, something he probably didn't plan, something that wasn't on his to-do list. <laughs> you know, think about it. In Matthew one twenty, he's he's told in that dream, you know, take Mary as your wife. And then chapter uh, 2, verse 13, he's told, rise, take the child and the mother and flee to Egypt because Herod's going to kill the child. So he's got to pick up immediately, get the get the family out of there and flee to Egypt. And then in chapter 2, 19 uh, of Matthew's gospel, he has another dream after Herod the Great dies. The, the angel says, rise, take the child and the mother and go back to the land of Egypt. Okay, we got to go back now. Okay, so he's getting ready to go back. And then in Matthew chapter 2, verse 22, he's warned in a dream. Oh, wait, wait, you're going to go back, but don't go through Judea uh, because there's a new king there. Herod's the son, Archelaus, is doing some crazy things. Stay away. Go go, go to Galilee. <laughs> so it's like poor Joseph. Every time Joseph goes to sleep, it, you get the sense he doesn't get much sleep because he has these dreams. Rise, wake up, go. No, now don't go here. No, don't go do this. No, go do this. <laughs> you know, I think maybe this is why Joseph is a good patron for parents because parents never get much sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe that's why uh, he's a great a great patron for fathers and parents in general. But the point I want to make is notice at every moment, every twist and turn of Joseph's life, it's as if he has to surrender to the needs of the moment. He can't do what he wants. He can't do what what he was trying to do. Do you ever feel that way as a parent? My wife was <laughs> telling me recently just how like she had a, had a day, and this is something that happens often in in a family a life a family with you know multiple kids it, it can be hard because one child needs this another kid needs this she was telling me she had this day and she had like these seven things she needed to get done and there was one child that had to go to a doctor appointment and that that child had some some other tests that need to be done had to go over to the hospital get this test they were worried was it serious he's all okay everything's fine but but there was a little nervous but that just completely threw off her morning okay now that's settled she's thinking about the afternoon and then some other child needs something else and then then she needs to go do this and it was just like her whole day was constantly interrupted and she was never able to get the things done that she wanted to do but 
that's like Joseph. Joseph was flexible. He responded to the needs of the moment. And I would say what my wife did on that day, God bless her, is she she did accomplish what she needed to do that day. She accomplished what God wanted her to do that day. That wasn't what was on her to-do list. It wasn't what was on her plan. It wasn't her dream for that Friday. No, it, but, but it was God's plan for her. And she encountered Jesus in those things. Joseph reminds us to be flexible, to be docile, to be listening to the word of God, the will of God in the events that unfold in our daily lives. Uh, another thing about Joseph, Joseph has silence. I want to talk about this. You know, he, I mentioned he doesn't say a word. He has this prayerful silence. I think that's that's another virtue there. He has this prayerfulness flowing from his silence. St. John Paul II called this the primacy of his interior life. Yeah, Joseph exhibits the primacy of the interior life in a world that's very loud, <laughs> a world where we have so much noise, so much distraction, so many screens. Joseph reminds us of how important it is to cultivate interior silence. Listen to what, what St. John Paul II said about this, and it, because it was from this interior silence that Joseph was able to do great, amazing things. Uh, he says it was from this interior life that very, uh, actually, this is St. Paul VI, actually. So I'm quoting St. Paul VI here. It was from this interior life that, quote, very singular commands and consolations came, bringing him also the logic and strength that belonged to simple and clear souls and giving him the power to make great decisions, such as the decision to put his liberty immediately at the disposition of the divine designs. I want to unpack what that quote means. That, that from his interior life, Joseph was able to, to put his freedom to the service of God's plan because he had a deep interior life. In other words, Joseph had a daily prayer life. Joseph didn't allow all the noise and busyness of, of his world to, to, to distract him from listening to the voice of God because he was regularly willing to sit in the silence, to sit in quiet, to listen, to reflect on God's word, reflect on the events in his life, he was able to respond generously. Many times we don't give our hearts fully to God. You know, we do the right thing. We say the right thing. We've, you know, we check off the boxes and what we're supposed to do, but maybe we don't give as much to God and to our family and to our friends as much as we should because we don't cultivate an interior life. We have too much noise. We sit on our phones too much. We look at screens too much. We're, we're too busy at work and too busy just getting things done. We really need to cultivate the interior life so that we can do great things for God and for other people. And that's the last thing I'll conclude with. Joseph is known as the great protector. He was the protector of the Holy Family, and he's also known as the, the patron of the universal church. Why? Because we know that he quickly responded to the needs of, of God and the needs of his family, where God was leading him to, to protect his family. And, 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 Joseph then was able to do that from his interior life, I think. He was able to respond quickly. But as the protector, he stands as a model for us that we want to do all we can to protect our families today. We may not have King Herod knocking on our door or sending his soldiers to our doors yet, but the family is so much under attack. There's so many things that creep into family life that, that hinder children from growing in virtue hinder children from experience love in the home that most of all hinder the children from 
living according to the faith and God's revelation and God's truth. So many forces in our secular world are reaching in to grab the attention, the imagination, and the hearts of our children. Let's be like Joseph. All of us, men and women, husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, let's remember St. Joseph, the protector of the Holy Family. He did everything he could to protect the family from danger. There are many dangers going after the, the hearts and minds of our children today. Protect them. Protect them from what they watch on screens. Protect them from not getting phones too early where they start getting, you know, just addicted to their phones, addicted to social media, addicted to video games. You know, these kinds of things really not, not only form an addiction in the heart, but they also shape the way we look at life and shape the way we look at reality. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with different parents that said they've seen their children in junior high or in high school. So picture that age, you know, maybe sixth, seventh, eighth grade, and then high school age, how many of their children who they spent so much time raising in the faith have been undermined by the sexual secular culture and adopting worldviews that are just contradictory to the Catholic faith. And why is it? It's because the parents weren't protecting their children from social media. And what the, the children were getting on social media, what they were hearing about the news and uh, certain ideologies about marriage, ideologies about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, how we identify. Uh, these ideologies have crept into the homes, into the hearts of devout, committed, orthodox, fervent Catholics. Why? Because these parents admitted to me, we, we didn't protect them from social media. And the kids started listening to podcasts and had voices speaking in every day uh, that were not coming from the heart of the church. Or they had images that they were watching, sexual images that got them into addictions or or, or, or certain ways of, of, of looking at the world, like atheism. Imagine you pour your whole life into raising your kids Catholic. And then because we're in, we let up on guarding our, our children from from new Herods, if you will, <laughs> uh, uh, this can creep in. So I'm inspired to do a better job, even in my own home and my own family. I hope you are too, from the great St. Joseph, who reminds us we have to do all we can to protect our families. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed this show. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, reach out to me, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can always find me on my website, edwards3.com. That's edwardsri.com. St. Joseph, pray for us.